0: Matthew 26, verses 1 to 16. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over.
1: Well, let me say this for starters. Life is hard. Uh, Things are always happening. People are always doing things, uh, saying things. They're they're all trying to make things happen. And uh, things that you and I don't don't know or understand are going on. And and in the midst of it, there you are. Always, every day, uh, interacting with other human actors who have their goals for the day that may or may not be compatible with your goals for the day. And uh, on top of that, there are the non-human wildcards, right, uh, things that might bounce your direction or they might not. Uh, you, you might have good health or you might have illness. Uh, you might have smooth sailing today or, or you could encounter all kinds of hardship and difficulty There are a 1,000 variables. So in all of that, there you are in the midst of it. How do you navigate life? Uh, What do you do as situations arise? Uh, What do you say to people? I I think most of the time what we do is we react to things as they arise. Uh, We make it up as we go along. We fly by the seat of our pants. Uh, and after the fact, if in the evening you uh, reflect over the events of the day, you may think, wow, that was a challenging day. How did I do? I don't know, C plus? This is a passage today about big events. In fact, it is about some of the biggest events in all of human history. At this time, around about the year 30 AD, and in this place, the city of Jerusalem, uh, tremendously important events are unfolding right here, right now. You, uh, you might understand them best, really, not as individual events, but, but taken together as one big, important, capital E, event. Uh, call it the Christ event. In which, over the next few days, Jesus the Messiah is about to be taken into custody and then manhandled through a series of kangaroo courts, sentenced to death literally overnight, and abruptly executed. And it will be a travesty of justice. But it will be more than that. The suffering and death of Jesus will also be redemptive, right? They will... Accomplish something. It will not be for nothing. They will be powerful to bring hope and the forgiveness of sins and abundant life to millions of people in every nation in the world. And death will not get the final word. uh, Because the Christ event involves not just suffering and death, but also resurrection. Big things are about to happen. And from here on out, around the world, when the gospel is preached, right, when, when the good news about Jesus is told in, in all kinds of settings by all kinds of people, and formal and informal, a significant part of that message will be to say, let me tell you about some things that happened, right? These things happened in this place at this time. But interestingly, what Matthew gives us in this account is not just the story of Jesus and of these events. He will also, in this chapter, put the spotlight on two ordinary people A woman and a man who are also in this place at this time. They are caught up in the events. Uh, They'll be in the same room, literally, with Jesus and with each other. But they are super ordinary, right? They're just like you and me. And like us, it is easy for them to be buffeted around by all the things that are happening. Easy for them to react in fear rather than to make deliberate uh, decisions out of clarity and faith and love. What we'll see is a woman, Mary, uh, who, by God's grace, at this moment, will act... Out of a remarkable faith and love. Jesus will say about her. She has done a beautiful thing to me. And then we will also see a man Judas. In whom at this critical moment. In the midst of these super important events. In him both faith and love will go completely missing. Instead of pressing into the newness of what Jesus is doing, uh, Judas will default backward to an old familiar self-centeredness. So we'll think about Mary, and we'll think about Judas, and then we'll think together a little bit about how faith and love work themselves out in our lives in the time and space that we occupy. Right? Because, because we want uh, not just to get the facts straight about Jesus. Uh, we want not just to assent to uh, the outline of the gospel story, sign, kind of sign off on that. Um, no, what, what we want is something better than that. We want to live as if it is true. We want to live in light of the gospel and for our lives, kind of our ordinary lives, to be characterized in our time, in our place, by faith and love and freedom. So what is it like in Jerusalem on this Passover week at this time in this place? Uh, well, for one thing, it is swarming with people. I, I, I think to, to imagine the, the, the scene is helpful. Uh, at, at Passover, people poured into this small city by the thousands from all over the countryside. Uh, Jews who were living as uh, expats in Greece or Egypt or Persia or wherever... Would make the trip to celebrate the holiday among their own people in a kind of national solidarity, right? So, even in modern times, there is a, a traditional phrase that is sung as part of the Passover liturgy. Uh, next year in Jerusalem, this is the place to be for this particular holiday which was and still is uh, all about the Jewish people's identity as a nation. So what is it like in Jerusalem? Uh, it's like being at Lincoln Financial Field for an Eagles playoff game or the Taylor Swift concert, right? There, there are people everywhere. And just as there would be uh, for the playoff game or the concert, there is also heightened security, right? Extra garrisons of soldiers are deployed to Jerusalem. And the Roman governor uh, would actually come down from the seat of government in Caesarea, which is up the coast, specifically to be on hand in case of trouble. Why? Uh, Well, because they anticipated trouble. Uh, because Israel is an occupied territory. They're celebrating their founding as a nation, their deliverance from oppression, at a time when, again, they are not an independent nation. Not really. Uh, And oppression is not just history, it's a present lived experience. Uh, So the extra Roman soldiers on the street corners are not looked at with uh, warmth and affection. Verse 5 says uh, that the authorities were worried about the possibility of a riot. That was not unreasonable. In the midst of this, it's no secret that the Jewish authorities do not like Jesus. It's no secret that they want him out of the picture, Uh, Jesus' last couple of trips to Jerusalem have been tense. John 10 tells us that they have tried to lay hold of him before. He was nearly stoned to death. And after that, Jesus' friends have been very anxious, actually, about going back to the city. But Jesus goes back anyway. And as he does, it's not with the attitude of, don't worry, guys, it'll be fine. Right now, quite to the contrary, Jesus tells them repeatedly, the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. He himself expects it, and he tells them to expect it. So there is anxiety in the air, but at the same time, what we see in the Gospels is that uh, by and large, Jesus' disciples seem to have trouble taking Jesus seriously in the things that he says. Uh, they, they can't get their heads around what he is saying. Uh, their imaginations are much more uh, engaged by the buzz of Palm Sunday, right? That was intoxicating. Uh, all the, the cheering and the palm branches. Uh, They are way more buzzed by all of that than they are engaged by the somber things Jesus tells them are about to happen. They are daydreaming about glory. They are having side conversations amongst themselves about who they're going to be when Jesus is king. They are not dialed into the moment. They are not understanding what it's all about. And this is maybe a good principle for us as we think about our own moment. Uh, I remember when Owen played baseball when he was small. Uh, So some of you have seen this. Uh, You've got all these little boys out on a field. Uh, For us it was at Roslyn Park, often on a Saturday morning and uh, there are long pauses between the action uh, because it's baseball and because it's small boys. Uh, and the, the boys' attention is all over the place. And what would happen was that the coach was, was continually calling out to them between every play, baseball ready, guys, baseball ready. Meaning... Head in the game, pay attention, the action is happening over here shortly, and the ball might be hit to you, right? Um, So the the question for us, I think, is on our ordinary days, same thing, I think, do you have your head in the game? Uh, Are you dialed in? Are you alert? Are you taking Jesus seriously? do you have any sense of the importance of the things that are going on around you? Um, Because I uh, can be very much like a a small boy um, looking at at bugs on the ground or airplanes going overhead and, and not present. The woman in Matthew 26... Uh, Matthew doesn't tell us her name, but John does. It's Mary of Bethany, the sister of uh, Martha and Lazarus. And what is so remarkable about Mary is, in this moment, uh, in the midst of the crowds, in the midst of some people's anxiety and other people's ambition, Mary uniquely is dialed in. Uh, She uniquely in this moment takes Jesus seriously about what is going to happen. Um, Mary has been listening to Jesus. Mary believes Jesus. Does she understand all of what is going to happen and why? I'm sure she doesn't, but she has been listening. She is present and attentive in this moment, and she is going to act in faith based on what Jesus has said. Uh, This is what she has absorbed. Her time with Jesus is running out. As Jesus himself says, uh, you will not always have me here with you. The hours that are left are precious. Because what Jesus has said before in this, uh, this is going to happen in the future kind of way has now gotten deadly specific. So Jesus says, as you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Two days away. And on this day, today, Jesus is still here. On this day, today, Jesus is at a dinner at the house of Mary's neighbor. In her small town. So, today, in this place, knowing what she knows, Mary is not passive. She is present in the present, and and this is what she does. Mary is the owner, the custodian of an extremely valuable object, it's a jar carved from a, a soft stone called alabaster. And in the jar is a very expensive perfume. Uh, John tells us it was nard. If you look up nard in, the Wiki, in Wikipedia, you can find out all kinds of helpful things. Uh, it would have been imported from India. The spike nard plant can be crushed and distilled into an intensely aromatic amber-colored essential oil. Intensely aromatic. Mary owns this jar of perfume. Uh, We don't know the how or why of that. I would infer that she came from some money. And maybe this jar of perfume is an heirloom. Uh, a family treasure that sits on the shelf that has been kept for years for some special use in the future when the time is right. Uh, Maybe a wedding, maybe a funeral. In not very long, it will be typical of the new community of Christians after the resurrection that those who have something valuable will sometimes liquidate a possession in order to make resources available to care for the needs of those who do not have. And that will be a good thing. But today, Mary possesses this thing. She has agency to do with it what she will. And this is what she decides to do with it. She poured it all out on Jesus' head. Why does she do this? This is uh, culturally strange to us. I, I, think, I think it's this simple. She adores him. And she understands that he is going to die because he has told her so. Where did Mary's love for Jesus come from? Uh, this is important it was in response to his love for her and for her family. Uh, The dignity he extended to her, his compassion and power that were displayed in her family as he engaged with them in in an earnest and sincere friendship. Jesus' love for us always comes first. And our love for him is always a response to his initiative. Mary was a disciple of Jesus. She was a student of his, right? He was her personal rabbi. And Jesus welcomed her as a woman to be part of the community of learners around him. Uh, to be a part of the conversation about important things. Uh, Probably just a, a, a month or two before this event, Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus became ill and died. Jesus engaged with both women in their sorrow with an amazing compassion and seriousness. He said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he die. Do you believe this? And it was Martha who in that moment with her brother dead in the tomb made eye contact with the Lord Jesus and said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Uh, Martha says it out loud as clearly as anyone ever had before. She hits that ball out of the park, and then Jesus called their brother back to life. They loved him. Of course they loved him. They adored him, and they had learned to trust him. They put their faith in him. So Mary now at this moment is not restrained by frugality. She is not limited to the default settings of fear and self-interest. She is bold. She is free now. She doesn't care what other people think. And she has insight as to what faith and love call for in this time and in this place. Uh, It's maybe worth saying here something about faith because, you know, faith in our society is uh, such a nothing word. it's, It's kind of roughly equivalent to optimism. Have faith, be positive, it'll work out. It's not worth much. Biblical faith is not vague. It's not general. It's very specific. Faith has an object. Faith is always faith in Christ. It's personal. It's putting your trust in a trustworthy person who is alive and who loves you. Uh, What do we believe? We believe the gospel. We put all of our weight on the Christ event on the unique power and effectiveness and liberation that comes from the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Mary's faith is personal, and it leans forward into the events that Jesus has told them are coming. Uh, She doesn't understand perfectly, but she leans heavily into Jesus and what he has said, and Jesus says that what she does is beautiful. Do you want to live in a way that is beautiful? I want to live in a way that is beautiful. On the other hand, at the same time, in the same room, there is Judas as Mary pours out the perfume as the room is filled with this intense aroma, and the other disciples are there too, and what is their default response? God help us, it is to be critical. Uh, Again, there's a detail that Matthew doesn't tell us that John does. The criticism starts with Judas. Judas reacts out of a heart that loves money, that would never in a thousand years do something so bold and generous and unmeasured as this. And uh, he has the dexterity to wrap all of that in in a veneer of uh, responsibility and concern for the poor. It starts with Judas, but apparently the room of men quickly agreed with him so that uh, Matthew attributes his comment to them all. Maybe, like some of us, they enjoy being critical. Maybe it's their default setting. Or maybe, specifically, they are instinctively inclined to be critical of what a woman does, or says, or thinks. Uh, I wonder are any of you stingy? Are any of you critical? Are any of you quick to put others down in order to exalt yourself? Guilty on all counts. Uh, Any of you shop at Aldi? this This is stupid and trivial, but I will tell you anyway because it gave insight into my heart. Uh, You know, at Aldi, you need a quarter in order to get a shopping cart. And then when you return the cart, you get your quarter back. So that was fine. I learned to keep quarters in the cart. And uh, every now and then, you'd be on your way to get a cart, quarter in hand. And someone else would be returning their cart. And you'd do a little shortcut, and you'd just give the other person the quarter and inherit that cart from them. So that was all good. Lately, there's been a new development. Uh, This has happened to me a few times. Uh, Some kind person is finished with her cart, and she wants to give it to me, but she doesn't want to take my quarter. She smiles and waves and gets into her car and drives off, and I still have a quarter in my hand. The shopping cart is free. You know what? My heart doesn't like this. Is this the new expectation? Are these nice people upping the ante for all of us, right? Is this what we're doing now, handing out quarters willy-nilly to suburbanites who can can afford to rent a shopping cart? Um, My heart is stingy. My default setting is much more like Judas than it is like Mary. Uh, Mary is bold. She is making choices out of the box. She is coloring outside the lines. She is led in new directions by faith working itself out in love. Judas is reserved. Judas is cold. He's calculating. Uh, you, you, can, you can sort of see him like doing the math on the envelope. Um, at, at the moment of crisis, he does not engage with the person, Jesus, who has been a friend to him. He depersonalizes Jesus. He dehumanizes him. He cashes him in. Uh, He defaults back to self-protection and greed. And uh, they make their choices. Jesus makes his. uh, He lays down his life for his friends. Uh, Folks, in a a moment, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Uh, I believe the Lord would have us do more than get our facts straight about the cross and the empty tomb. Good though that is. I I believe he wants to spring us from the default settings of self-interest to teach us a new way of faith and love that would be beautiful. Uh, How in the world do we learn that? We ask him. Uh, We listen to the scriptures, we meditate on them, we talk to him about our lives, and we talk to each other about these things. Uh, What do you think faith in Christ looks like here today in this set of circumstances that I am in? Uh, What is it that I need to let go of in response to Christ's love for me so that I, of all people, could color outside the lines and live with a little freedom? Um, he's calling us into a conversation about these things with him and with each other. Uh, And this idea of a life that is beautiful, uh, the idea that you and I might be the kind of people who do beautiful things, I I hope that that is tantalizing. I I, I hope that you want a little more of that. I, I, I want a little more of that. And it doesn't come from self effort, it comes from asking the spirit to be at work in us individually and together all right so le- let's let's ask him that now. Um, lord god uh, we we read this story and we really kind of marvel at the the freedom and audacity and and uh uh, outpouring generosity of Mary's heart. And Lord, we, we want very much in the moment, in the time that you have, have put each of us in the places you've put us, we want to be people who are relationally engaged with our living Savior and uh, talking with you about the the things that are in front of us, the the people that are in front of us. We want to live lives of faith and love. Um, So, Lord, would you set us free for that, and would you teach us the rhythms of this way of life, that we would know them deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.